Welcome to another edition of the Nuggets Inc. podcast presented by the Denver Post. I am Nuggets beat writer Mike Singer, and today I'm joined by Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, the former number three pick by the Denver Nuggets in 1990. Abdul-Raouf has a brand new documentary out, Stand, presented by Showtime, that documents his unbelievable journey from Gulfport, Mississippi, where he overcame a Tourette's diagnosis, he overcame a single-parent household, poverty, racism, was one of the top scorers in NCAA history at LSU, and rose to extremely high heights within the NBA before all of it was taken from him after he was ostracized from the NBA because of his beliefs. I hope you enjoy this conversation. You know, one thing that, that has become readily apparent from, from watching your documentary, from reading about you, is how um, integral your work ethic is uh, to, to who you became and, you know, to the heights that you reached. Was that a hunger that you had just to get out of your circumstances and, and your surroundings growing up in Gulfport, Mississippi? Yes, it was, uh, no question. But it was also just the natural desire to be great. You know, when you're a child, you're told that the sky's the limit. You can do anything you put your mind to, and you believe that. And who doesn't want to be successful? But growing up in certain conditions like we did, it definitely amps it up even more because, you know, you wake up in the morning, you got the stench of the neighborhood, the garbage of the neighborhood, you're surrounded by drugs, prostitution. Now, who wants to really live in that? The dilapidated homes, rats and roaches. <laughs> so that was definitely a driving force uh, to, to push me to train every day on a whole nother level to get out of that, that experience. Um, in, in terms of your circumstance growing up in the documentary, you discuss not knowing who your father was and, and, and the idea that basketball replaced that, that void. And then you talk about, you know, I think you've used, you've used the word raw and vulnerable a lot to describe this documentary, the idea that playing basketball might have given you an opportunity to reconnect with your dad. That is, I'm thinking about it, trying to put myself in your shoes, that is an unbelievable burden for a kid to have to bear. How did you reconcile and cope with that? You know, prayer was a big part of my life. Uh... My grandmother, uncle, aunt always taught me the value of praying and that God is not going to give you a burden you can't bear. Um, and, and, and and what he's given you is not meant to dehumanize or deflate you. It's meant to elevate you. And so that was that was one thing. You know, and another thing, man, self-talk is very important. Uh, you know, we're taught as athletes to suck it up, to fight through it. Right. And so there are moments and there were ebbs and flows. There were moments I'm like, man, man, trick that man, trick it. Forget it, man. It's his loss. You know, I got to keep him moving. I got to stay focused. Um, But as a child, there's a natural urge uh, that, you know, you want to know your parent. You want to know who they are. And so that's how I dealt with it. The self-talk, the prayers, the staying, the staying focused on my craft. Um, But it wasn't in total. I mean, you're human. You're going to have your days. But I would do that constantly. And I still do that at 53 years old. There is an incredible moment in the Stan documentary, uh, which premiered February 3rd, where you you discuss this interaction um, that you had at a Nike camp with Michael Jordan. Um, since I know, I know that you have not followed up with him and, and have, you know, have, have asked him about that specific interaction. I want to ask you, how much have you rewound and played that moment where you showed yourself 
you uh, you know can contend and can compete with with a player of of MJ's caliber? How much have did you rewind that moment in your mind and say I can do this? At what point you talking about like throughout my life or after the incident? Throughout your life, because I'm just speaking for myself. If that ever happened to me, I'm I'm playing that over thousands of times in my head, Bakhmud. Yeah, you know, you play so much basketball, you, and you playing every day. You know, you 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 can't necessarily focus too long on the past because you have those 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 immediate moments that you're dealing with. But definitely, man, um, I don't think about it like religiously. But it does cross my mind, you know, that wow, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that he even gave me the opportunity. You have about 110 of us in the stand. And maybe he picked me because I was a small dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and, but but the fact that he picked me and, and, he, and he was I mean, he was look, man, he's hyper competitive. He didn't let me do anything. He was coming. Like I said, I could feel the muscles, man. Pop, 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 pop. I mean, he, he his recovery time. But. I think about I think about it occasionally, but not like a whole lot. Just like wow, man, all of that work, you know, God let it lead to that, and I was ready, and I shined, and what it did for my confidence, and then just how it all played out. But yeah, I'm super grateful for him. I should send him. He doesn't need it, but I should send him a coupon to go eat somewhere. You, you know, you definitely should. And listen, that has got to be the difference between guys who make it to the NBA and media or, or people in uh, kind of in the surrounding um, kind of circum, circle of, of basketball where you're like, all right, those moments, I would never forget them. But in and, and all the wins that you had, you're like, all right, that's one of them. That's not my crowning moment. So I'm trying, I'm trying to give right, you an out right. there. <laughs> um, listen, I, I ask this selfishly since in my role – uh, my job is to establish a rapport and a, and a working relationship with the Nuggets players, the team that I cover. What was your relationship with the media um, in, let, let's say, at the start, when you started to pick up notoriety? And, um, you know, because you have said that the story was not portrayed in, 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 in full and it wasn't thoroughly, um, completely accurate in how it was portrayed. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think with with most most athletes or most people that deal with the media a lot, if we're going to be honest, and that's the only thing I'm going to be, there's a love hate relationship. Okay. You know, we 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 we're, we're not in the ins and outs uh, of the business, but but some of us read and some of us hear that you know there's a lot of uh, sensationalism, there's a lot of propaganda that's associated with the business. Also, there's a lot of, sometimes it has nothing to do with the writer. The writer may write what he wants, but he goes back and when he gets to the editing room, right, he's, he's asked to change it because also controversy and criticism sales. So you try not to necessarily take it out on the actual individual, but you get to that point where you don't know where it's coming from, right? Was mm-hmm. it you? Was it the dog wagging a tail or the tail wagging a dog, right? <laughs> and, and, but but uh, I've also had some great experiences uh, with people doing it, the you know doing it right and and giving giving it the way it was given in the context it was given. So that's why I say there's a love hate relationship. Um, but but it's hard to decipher though. After a while, was it the journalist or was it the the editor? You know who who did it? 
I, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that you allow for the fact that there are different people involved in this process, that it's not all on the, like, yeah. like we're, we are trying to do, I'm only going to speak for myself. I only try to do my job, ask c- thorough, correct questions, and then portray it honestly. That's all I can account for. But you obviously mm-hmm. ha- have a have a history of, of it, you know, not not coming straight from your mouth to how it's portrayed to the public. And because of that, I would be a little bit skeptical if I was in your shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and a lot of us are, a lot of us prefer to do live interviews. That's why <laughs> we're doing the, That's, that's the this man. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I told you before we had a technical difficulty, uh, that I am priding myself on challenging you in questions that you have not seen um, throughout this media push while you are promoting uh, Stan. So, again, that is the fun challenge, I hope, for both of us. Um, and, you know, as I'm trying to think about where your headspace was at throughout this controversy while you're with the Nuggets, you know, you've talked a lot about how it would be different in today's age because of social media, that you would be able to, quote, control your own narrative, and, and you would be able to speak, you know, immediately. This is how I actually feel. And no one can butcher or cut up or, you know, misattribute or misquote anything. So in that moment when when kind of the, this controversy is brewing, it must have felt overwhelming for you to not be able to speak and not be able to say exactly what you want and ensure that it was going to come out exactly how you wanted it. Am I correct in assuming that? Uh, yes. Well, actually, going back to what you started off with, if I can, please. I, I think even in this day and age, you have a, I think you have a better chance of controlling the narrative. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have challenges, <laughs> right? Because there's still those elements out there. But uh, the question that you asked me, uh, help me out again. Uh, was it overwhelming? Was it overwhelming in the moment when you couldn't necessarily speak for yourself or you, or people were taking bits and pieces of your interviews and splicing it how they wanted it to? That that was the most difficult. It it wasn't that I couldn't speak for myself. It was more so that my my views were being rearranged. My words, were, you know, it's like certain things were being deleted. Like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on tyranny and oppression, but I'm not going to concentrate on, well, not everything, uh, not everything is bad. There's good, but wherever the bad. I'm like, well, that's balance. Anywhere you go, if you're sitting, no country is perfect, right? So, you, you know, I'm concentrating on the problem areas. If you want to concentrate on the good areas, you do that. But right now, I want to concentrate on that. And so when I saw that, and then almost no matter what you say, right, is taking out of context, uh, that's... That's you. I'm trying to find the word. That's that's a major violation. It's right? unethical. Uh, oh, very unethical. You know, and 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 it's hard for me to imagine that intelligent people who who play with words every day don't know what they're doing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that was the tough part, and that's what angered me, and that's what really sent me. Um, sent me to the hospital with the with the with the uh, with the ulcer because I was so I just wanted to go at everybody at, at that time but you know I had to kind of at that moment after talking to my mentor I said you know I think this is a better I'm not compromising I still feel the same way but let me take this approach and uh, it was very very to, uh, to using the word overwhelming it could yeah it it it, it was hard to deal with after your protest. 
took on more notoriety. How were you received in Denver? You know what, man? I say this all the time from what I remember anyway. Maybe I was tone deaf. But when I came back, and I and this is what my, my remembrance was, and I walked into to the arena at that moment. I don't remember hearing booze. Well, maybe there was, but I was tone deaf. And I'll say it this way. I'm, I'm a people's person. And when I was living in Denver, man, I'm, I'm at parks. I'm in the ghettos. I'm in regular neighborhoods. I've been that way since I've been young. And, and I like engaging people. Right? I love people. And I think for the most part, because people were used to seeing me in the streets, interacting, regardless of what the media was saying or they agreed or disagreed, they felt that, you know what, no, the way you paint him, this ain't the person I met. This ain't the person I see. So I literally, man, still Denver for me out of all, you know, the place I played in the NBA is my best experience. You know, the people I met, the city, the different, different, uh, you know, the different uh, weather uh, conditions, I didn't want to leave, you know, and I thought that we really had a chance. I mean, I was I was looking to end my career in Denver, even after that incident, you know, because my experience with people was so, you know, by and large, great uh, the whole time, even after the the anthem. I, I, I didn't feel like when I went somewhere that, you know, that I was necessarily at that moment in Denver going to be attacked because I felt people knew me. What would, yeah, yeah, what would it mean to you to be recognized by the Nuggets? Um, you know, if if they were to say, you know, we we didn't handle this right, and we want to honor you for for you know your legacy and what you meant to the team and our history. What would it mean to you? I mean, you know, those things are nice gestures, and I'm I'm look, I'm a I'm a person that I I. I I believe in where you feel the situation is sincere. Uh, I feel, let me get rid of this. I, I feel where you feel the situation is sincere. I'm all about building bridges, right? Provided I feel it's it's sincere. You know, we we're human beings, so we do things, uh, and then we realize later that okay, like you said, I, we didn't handle that correctly. It was bad. So I, it would be a nice gesture, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I would. Because I'm a people that believe in building bridges, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, what do you call it? I wouldn't deny it, right, or reject it, uh, provided I felt it was coming from, you know, a sincere place. I guess, kind of speaking, and we're taught, we're taught Islamically, even if a person, oh, I'm sorry, we're we're taught in Islam that if a person offers up an apology, we accept it. Now that doesn't mean that we have to, we trust you. That doesn't mean that we have to hang out. Because we don't know what's in a person's heart, but we we accept the apology and and, and we we keep it moving. I mean, to that point, when when you were in in the throes of uh, of your anthem controversy, did you see um, evidence or instances of the NBA machine, like and the corporations that be kind of working against you? Um, even if it wasn't outright and overt, were there? Were you like, huh? Something does not add up here. Where like. You know, in retrospect, I don't know that I can completely trust that this is coming from a place of, of you know, a, a genuine place. Yeah, uh, in terms of being aware of the NBA machinery, yes. I mean, here, you know, uh, we we had made a phone call, uh, the agent Sharif Nasir at the time, uh, trying to get a to, to get a grasp of what was happening. 
Um, and I think Bernie was trying to just, you, you know, uh, douse the fires before. Well, he was trying to deal with it before it blew up, perhaps. And so Sharif Nasir called uh, the NBA and said, hey, man, we, we were told that, you know, they have a problem with Mahmoud standing and, you know, and this is Rod Thorne, the one that was over finding people, right? And Rod Thorne, NBA is so meticulous with trying to find reasons to find you to get money back. They wanted to find me $1,000 per sock because the NBA emblem wasn't shown. So you telling me you didn't see me with all the NBA on the sidelines and all the people that you ain't see me not standing for four months to six months. And I really think that it wasn't until the media made it public that they wanted to come at you. Oh, we got a problem. Right. But you, you, you didn't do this the whole time. And so then you look at that, but then you look at the talk about, Oh, I'm supposed to be meeting David Stern. The media was saying, Hey, he's on, on his way to New York. He's supposed, I never talked to David Stern. We never discuss having a meeting with each other whatsoever. So I'm like, where is this coming from? Right. And then I'm looking at when I'm finally traded, uh, they started to, oh, and, and, and Rod Thorne was like, he told Sharif, he said, not standing. He said, as far as I know, we don't have a rule where you got to stand. Like we don't, now this is the guy that fires people. Right. So he didn't even know. And, and and so I'm traded to Sacramento. The next year, you look in the, the player rules manual or whatever, not the contract that we signed to become, you know, player. It's in big, bold print. You got to, you know, stand for the national anthem. We, or we expect our players to stand. But then I started to see my minutes diminish, people having conversations. Then hardly no journalists, because I know their relationships, too, in, in, every, in every network, right? And uh, hardly no journalists asking me questions about not playing. And then they do a special on the top free throw shooters. I'm not mentioned one time. So I'm like, ah, this looks kind of suspicious, you know. And, and so I, I definitely started to feel like there was collusion going on. Um, in the documentary, Jalen apologized for not having your back. Um, I, I imagine that meant a lot to you for him to say that, A. But, B, at the time, did anybody have – who had your back, if anybody? Well, actually, Jalen did have my back. Jalen, I think, was talking in the context. He said, as players, we. Okay. Right? Because Jalen ended up, yeah, Jalen ended up saying something in real. Man, my move been doing this all of this time, and now y'all want to make a big deal. Uh, uh, Dale Ellis, I think, LaFonso Ellis, I think, Dikembe. Shaq said something, you know, probably we all got, you know, I think even Jordan said something, you know, in reference to. So, but, but in mass, no. And I think historically, it'll always be the case. When you see somebody take position, I think you'll always have the few and the masses won't gravitate to it and won't won't do it publicly. It's, 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 a, it's a phenomenal thing that this still happens, right? The type of conditioning that goes on for that to happen. And you find out maybe 20, 30 years later after somebody may have passed away, like, man, we love that person and boom, boom, boom. You know, it's like a person saying, man, if you were, if you grew up in slavery then, man, oh, man, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't take, man, if I was back then. And really, I tell him, I say, technically, however you are now is a strong indication of what you would have did then. So if you're not standing up now, don't claim that if you were back then, you would stand up. Just shut up. You'll probably be doing the same thing. That's amazing. Um, 
I only have a few more for you. Again, I really appreciate the time, Mahmoud. Um, you know, I asked you what it was like in Denver. You said you said you tuned it out or or didn't necessarily hear hear any booze or any um, any vitriol. What was it like in the visiting arenas? If you can describe um, the animosity that that opposing crowds uh, showered you with. I mean, you're laughing, so I'm going to assume showered you with. Oh yeah, man. I mean, it's boo, it's booing you and talking trash from the moment you come out the god dog on uh the uh the, the tunnel. tunnel. You know, and I I can't yeah I can't really remember because again a lot of it you block this stuff out because athletes were taught to block block it out. But you know the boos are coming, and you have so much so many people saying things, right? And you know they're attacking you. But we've been conditioned to block it out. So I can't remember, like, the details uh, of what they were saying. But it wasn't pretty. I mean, not at all, especially going to those arenas, man. It definitely wasn't pretty. But it made me laugh because, again, this is something we're accustomed to. As long as you don't throw anything, like, at me, you know what I mean? Or you trying to, you know, like, say something about my loved ones and, you know, like, real derogatory. Man, whatever. You know, I, I'm I'm comfortable with my, my knowledge. I'm comfortable with my position. That's not going to affect me not sleeping well for the most part. You know, you got to deal with your conscience. And, and I, I'm out there trying to, man, concentrate on what I got to do. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, if somebody says something completely out of pocket and, like, the rest of the fans look at them like, what are you talking about? And it, like, just, you shrug it off. You're like, well, that's on your, that's your problem, man, not mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. I've read numerous interviews where you said, um, obviously, you do not regret at all the position that you took, but within that, were there aspects that you would have done differently? And the reason I ask that is because, you know, before we started recording, um, I told you I had conversations with some of your teammates, um, Robert Peck and LaFonso Ellis and um, Dale Ellis and uh, Dan Issel. And so, you know, was there anything that you would have done differently um, in terms of, and I think I, re- I, I listened to an interview where you said, as you have, have converted to uh, Islam and are learning and reading all these things, you're so excited and you want to share everything and you want to, um, you know, share ev- everything that is kind of coming into focus for you. So w- was there anything about that that you would have changed? And I'm not asking about your position because th- that is, you know, unequivocal. It, it, it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yes and no. I wouldn't because I had to go through what I went through, you know, the way I went through it. You know, that's just the way it is. But with the luxury of hindsight, (laughs) I would have done it much sooner. Like even when I began to share things, right, initially I was sharing it so much, man, I I started to sense, okay, I'm I'm, I'm overdosing. These guys are drowning in conversations about these things, Mm -hmm. right? And you don't want to you don't want to push people away because you know a lot tells us there's no force in matters of faith. You know, so I had to eventually what happened was I, as I began to read them to hold them, you know, speak to speak to the level of a person's intelligence, right? Knowledge, you know, there's a saying that that uh 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 I can't I think Imam Ali says it, but uh but in in other words, when when you're dealing with information. Right. There's a time and circumstances. Right. You got to be careful how you disseminate it. And and you could either you could either look 
lose people or, or, or bring them to you. So I started to just be more of a person that let me be live by example. And then if something comes up, let me just have this conversation, but try not to drown people out with giving them too much information. Uh, I would have done that more. Uh, I would have done that sooner. But also, I, I would have, in light of what happened, I love some of the things, some of the things that Kaepernick did with, for example, he developed the Know Your Rights campaign. Right. I think that there are things that we should do publicly and there are things that we should do privately. The reason we should do some of them publicly is to hopefully inspire, encourage other people like, wow, I want to contribute to that. I want to do that. And so I would have I would have liked to have said, that, OK, those would those were some of the things that I wish I would have. Instituted along with the decision that I made. Right. Yeah. Uh, last one. You know, I asked you about. How, how would it feel to be received if the Nuggets were to honor your legacy? Um, and I, in some of these interviews, you've talked about you know how humble you are, and you are not one to ask for any kind of apology or anything from the NBA as an entity itself. That's not in your nature. Um, yeah. What what would and I don't know if you've thought about this, but what would be sufficient in in your mind to hear from the NBA? And I understand that. You know, you say it needs to come from a place of sincerity. And how the heck do you know it, it, from an entity if they're being sincere or not? But in your mind, what would be sufficient um, to where you're like, all right. And I know that you're at ease. It's it's apparent. But but what would make it what would make it right with the league? Well, uh, if you're not if you're talking about the league and not necessarily Denver, that's a different story. Uh, the in, uh, I, I don't think. When when a person's career has been affected, right, it's not enough just to verbally say I apologize, because a a, a career was affected, which means uh, a lot of monies were lost, and that money that was lost would have helped a lot, not just my family, but we're we usually as African Americans we don't have generational wealth, right? So we take care of multiple families, and so. It's, it's like, and I've said this before, it's like people saying, well, I apologize for slavery, but yet don't want to offer up reparations, but have offered up reparations for the Germans and for all these other types of people. To me, the apologies are worthless in that regard. Um, and so you would, the apology would have to be backed up with some compensation of, of, of some losses that, that, that happened. Uh, with, when it comes to the NBA, uh, their apologies alone, their words, because people are you know, people are quick to want to verbally apologize. Talk is so cheap. So in that case, you are really right. And so in that case, with them, yeah, uh, you have to back it up with something, or you know, you can save your apologies. Mahmoud, and, but I'm still, I'm, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I know you're good. This was not questioning whether you're good or not. It is. It is. No, no, no. Yeah. It is apparent in the documentary, which uh, again I cannot recommend enough. It is enlightening, insightful, pertinent. Um, you know, two to three decades later, th- these are issues that we're still dealing with, and that you know we need to confront as Americans, as sports fans, as basketball fans, etc. Um, Mahmoud, I hope I met the challenge of asking you questions that were not boilerplate. I hope. Um, no, you did an excellent job, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, again, go watch the documentary on Showtime. Uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, I cannot thank you enough. This was outstanding. Uh, appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Thank you.
like you even more, man, and be blessed. Turn around.